Welcome to this episode of Singly Witnesses, where I talk to the Catholic behind the account. Today, I'm going to speak with Father Josh, who's going to come on and share some information about what it means to be a priest and his uh, vocational story. So thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Efren. We've been like Twitter friends for, I don't know, maybe two years or something. I haven't been on Twitter that long, but right, now we right. can finally like show down face to face over some controversial music subjects like Steve Miller band or whatever. <laughs> right, right, right. And so um, just like he just said, you know, we've been following each other on social media for a while. So it's great to finally um, speak face to face to each other and talk about something important. Um, so let's get started with the conversation. Um, share a little bit about your vocation. Like how long have you been a priest and um, what have, like uh, what prompted you to start um, like deciding to call for the priesthood? I've been a priest for just over six and a half years. I was ordained on June 13th, 2015, which is the feast day of St. Anthony. And uh, I'm a priest, a diocesan priest for the Diocese of Gallup, New Mexico, which is kind of a, a unique diocese just because we serve, uh, our, our, the reason we were formed is to serve the Native American peoples out here. So our boundaries weren't decided by state boundaries. We're in both Arizona and New Mexico. And we serve the Navajo Nation, and we have a couple Apache tribes, Hopi, Zuni, Acoma, and Laguna Pueblos as well. So, so we have a whole bunch of different kinds of priests out here. We have diocesan priests, Franciscans, we have missionary priests from Nigeria and from India, and a few different religious orders as well. And we're all serving in kind of a big territory that's about 56,000 square miles. Um, so for me, the, the call to the priesthood came in pretty surprising ways that I never expected, especially I would say like the call to where I'm serving, which is really important when we're called, it's to love God in a particular way through a particular people, loving a particular people. So I think like when people are trying to discern their vocation, a question that's important is like, who am I called to love and how? Like it's, it's specific. And uh, I grew up, in California, like Bay Area and Monterey Bay, back and forth. And I spent a lot of time on the beach growing up. And I think like beach people, especially California beach people are pretty big snobs about the beach. Like there's only, you can only be on the beach and nowhere else is cool. So for me, like geography of the US was like California and then Washington, Oregon were like cold beaches. <laughs> and then it was like, I acknowledged Florida and Hawaii was like the only place that might be cooler than where I grew up and like I think maybe Australia seemed pretty cool too so I just I knew that for my whole life I was always going to be by the beach and uh and then uh there were like a few like looking back there were a few weird um like signs of priesthood in my life but I didn't I didn't understand them or really feel them early on I remember in particular once when I was in high school I went to a boarding school that was run by monks and uh, I early on, I could go home on the weekends. So my mom would come and pick me up. And I remember one time she said, uh, she looked at me while she was driving we were driving home. And she said, if you want to be a priest, that's okay with me. And I was like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, mom, why are you always embarrassing me? And I didn't really, I never really thought about it again. Uh, or not never, but I didn't think about it again for a long time. And then I went to college. I went to a Catholic college 
primarily because not really for the education, although it was good, but I just knew that if I didn't have friends that were uh, more invested in their faith than me and could kind of carry me along, I just knew that I would probably kind of lose it. I wasn't, I didn't have enough discipline and strength myself in the faith. So, so I really went to school, to college, just kind of to keep having good Catholic friends that could be good influences on me because I knew I needed that. And, uh, but even then for me, I just remember that my experience of the faith, I had faithful friends and, you know, there was mass available on campus and all that stuff. But, but for me, it still kind of felt like a duty and I was still trying to figure out, am I just doing this stuff because, you know, there's some fear of going to hell if you don't, or do I really believe, do I really believe in all of the, the Catholic stuff that our Lord Jesus Christ came to us and saved us and gave us his mom and we got to go to mass on Sunday and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and so I just remember that uh, after graduation, graduated, me and my friends like got jobs and a few of us got an apartment together in Southern California in Oxnard, which we called the Nard. And our gang was, or our neighborhood was run by like a female gang called La Colonia. They wore 49er starter jackets and would protect us. <laughs> and uh, we lived in like all these, it was, it was just tons of apartments in this neighborhood. So we lived there. And I just remember this crazy thing happened where uh, everything was, you know, we're new life experiences on our own, making decisions. Overall, looking back, I think we we're all doing pretty well. And, but we're young. I was like 21. And, uh, and when I started to, when I would pray, I especially remember during Lent, when I would pray, all of a sudden, it felt like there was someone on the other side of the prayer. And even though I had gone to a boarding school with monks and gone to like a Catholic college and all those things, I just never really experienced that before. I think it was just clearly like a grace from, from the Lord just to be like, all right, it's time to start diving into this as a relationship, not just as a set of rules or something you have to do to make somebody proud or whatever. So that was really kind of amazing. Like I just, I would pray the rosary or go to mass, whatever it was. And I could just tell that there was someone on the other side of that and that there was someone that loved me, which is really amazing. I think at that time I was also, I had read a book about Joan of Arc that made a big deal to me. And I was reading like Dorothy Day and her works. And she really showed me for the first time, like what it looked like to really radically live the faith and just to put everything toward serving Jesus and the ones that he loves and the ones that he calls us to. And that was really impressive for me. And there was like a spark there. So then, so I just, that was just like getting me to pray more. Mass became a different experience, all those things. Later on, uh, I moved back to the Bay Area, to Monterey Bay. I was living like six blocks up from the beach, which was really amazing. And uh, every day I would see like the, uh, the pelicans would like fly out of the bay to go on their like nine to five work shift. And then they would come back in the evening. And I was doing like uh, landscaping and waterscaping, like making ponds and waterfalls and uh, doing, taking care of like really wealthy people that had, that had ponds and waterfalls in their backyard. I would go to their house and like take care of their fish and trim their plants and make sure the pH was right in their pond, which was sweet. And, uh, and I just started to have some more powerful experiences in prayer and, in church, I remember one time I was like just walking around the beach. And again, I had this really strong sense that like God really loved me. And, but for me, like right away, it was like, and I'm not that special. I'm not that special. So like, if God loves me, he actually has to love everybody like just as much like personally. 
because I knew it wasn't, I hadn't done anything really awesome. <laughs> and, uh, and so I was just having like this really strong sense of God's love. And I would have some experiences in, in church that were kind of weird. Like I remember after, after a friend of mine's wedding, I just had this, the words, I had a sense of like strong peace and, and the words that came to my mind were just like, I could stay here forever. Which didn't mean I didn't want to like go get pizza and beer with everybody else afterwards. But, um, but just, I just started to have like those, I know now they're called like consolations and they come with something that kind of guides us in the way that the Lord's calling us. But at the time I didn't know, I didn't really know what to do with that stuff. So I started telling some friends about it and all that. Then uh, I guess the real, like the thing that kind of changed everything and set the trajectory for me to be a priest in the diocese of Gallup was that I started to sense that maybe I had a call to the priesthood. I also, um, was, I was also dating someone and like marriage was on the table. And while we were dating, like, because marriage, we started to talk about marriage. I started to get stressed out about like money and job and all those things that when I was just, you know, a bachelor I didn't, I didn't really care about that much and uh so I just remember I was starting to stress like I need to get a I need to get a job that pays a lot of money and blah 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 blah, blah. we have to buy a house and I don't want to live where she goes blah 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 and uh and so I went to mass one day and before mass I was just like I need to let go of this this stress and this anxiety and this fear and just give it to the Lord so I just before mass I just prayed to the blessed mother and I was like all my prayer was just, I just said, blessed mother, I need you to give me a sweet job. That's what I said. Amen. And then, and then uh, the, it turned out that that was December 12th. And I didn't know what that was at the time. And it was the feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And, uh, and during the homily, the priest told the story of Juan Diego and Our Lady of Guadalupe. And there's this part where Juan, where the blessed mother, you know, she's, she's appeared to Juan Diego. He doesn't know exactly who she is, but she seems really cool. She told him to go to this bishop and and tell the bishop that she wants a chapel built. And Juan Diego's going, and he's an indigenous guy, and nobody takes him seriously. He's the Spanish courts there or whatever, and uh, and they're just making fun of him and mocking him. And, and so he goes back to the Blessed Mother. First, he tries to get around. He tries to sneak like around her so that she doesn't find him. But then, but then she comes down the mountain, catches up with him, and she's like. Juan Dieguito, Juanito. She's like, where are you going? And uh, and he's like fumbling his words. It's really funny. And the like, there's a new translation of the Nahuatl or whatever. And, and he's like, oh, my sweet one. Oh, oh my dear one. And then he's like, how did you sleep last night? Because he doesn't really know what to say. But anyway, he complains to her. Look, I'm a laughing stop. Nobody's, nobody's taking me seriously. And she says to him, and this is what was really important for me. She says, oh, my, you know, oh, dearest of my sons, am I not your mother? Uh, aren't I taking care of you? Which are the real famous words from Our Lady of Guadalupe. And in, in that moment, I really felt like uh, like those words were for me when the priest was was relating that story in the homily and there, the answer to my prayer. I was like, blessed mother, I'm stressed out. I need a sweet job. And she said, aren't I taking care of you? Aren't I your mother? So that was December 12th. By like January 1st, me and the person I was dating had like a very definitive breakup, like very definitive. And uh, and I didn't really need a sweet job anymore. I was like, what's going on? Um, and things just started changing. And I just remember that I was living in Monterey and I couldn't really afford to stay there anymore. So I called the, I called my friends all over the country and asked them if they had a job for me, I would just move there. 
and I was really hoping like anybody in Florida, like maybe East Coast, you know, but I had a bunch of friends out here in Gallup in New Mexico, which was like one of my least favorite places I had ever visited. I visited a couple of times and, uh, and I called. So my friends out here, they were like, yeah, we need, we need somebody to start teaching high school science in like three weeks. And I just remember like, I told them, I hate science. <laughs> They're like, we don't care. Like you have to, you have to learn. So I moved out to Gallup and I was really kind of dreading it. But I also felt like the Lord was like inviting me. And I kind of had a plan that I would come here for maybe two years, try out teaching and then move back to California to the beach where I belonged. And uh, I do definitely remember, I have a very specific memory. When I was leaving, I packed up my station wagon and everything I had was in this car. And I was driving over the Elkhorn Slough, which is this place where the seawater from the Monterey Bay comes inland for a while and makes kind of like a estuary ecosystem and it's a cool place to like hike and kayak and everything and I remember uh driving over this little bridge there and I looked to the right into the marsh and there was like a blue heron like silhouetted in the beautiful marsh light and I was like oh no I'm never gonna see this again and then I looked to the left and there was like um sea otters when they all get together they they raft up like they link arms so there was like 12 sea otters in a raft and they were waving at me. They were like, goodbye, Josh, <laughs> like, goodbye forever. And I was like, no, <laughs> and I was like, what am I doing? And then when I got to New Mexico, which for me was like, I still had this idea of like far side cartoons where there's just like a lot of sand and like cow bones or something like that. Like, it's just like the desert is just horrible. Um, but as soon as I got out here, I really started to love it. As soon as I got to know people, kind of amazing again I think just a special grace because my heart was a little bit hard and then things just kind of moved really quickly in a way that I can again just say was kind of grace and clarity like in California I had been trying to do a bunch of different things praying about a bunch of different stuff engaging in vocational discernment and even when I thought about the priesthood I thought well maybe I'll go to that order of monks that I went to a boarding school with and then when I thought about marriage there was like only one girl and then neither of those things, neither, neither of those things were the Lord's plan and neither of them worked out. And then, so when I came to New Mexico, I kind of didn't have a plan anymore. I just wanted to do whatever the Lord wanted and I had friends out here and all that. So I was kind of taking it easy. And that's actually when all of a sudden it was just like, boom, 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 external signs, interior consolations. I started serving, um, I was serving at adoration on Thursday nights here. I didn't realize till like a few years later that it was Our Lady of Guadalupe side chapel. Then I started to feel like a pretty strong sense that a conviction, not for the whole thing, not for the whole plan of priesthood, but I could tell that Jesus was asking me at least to go to the seminary, at least to apply for seminary and see what happens. So he wasn't giving me like the six year, 10 year, 50 year plan. He was just like, this is the step that I'd like you to take right now. And I, there was interior things in prayer about that and exterior things as well. And uh, so I applied to seminary. And for me, once I went to seminary, it was like a really awesome, beautiful experience. And there was just more and more confirmation every year. And, and I think for me, it's different for everybody, but I was probably about, I went to seminary for six years. I think I was three and a half years in when I it really finally totally clicked that like this, this is what I'm called to. This is what I'm made for. This is what I want to do. Like all those things came together. And for me, it's just awesome because 
I really know, I know, I know for sure that I did not like invent my call. Like if I was like a, like if I was doing beach ministry in, in Cabo or whatever, I probably every day would be like, did I just make this up myself? You know, because this is, this kind of fits in my vision of what I think paradise is like or whatever, but it's not, it's, it's not anything I ever expected, not in a place that I ever knew much about or even gave any credit to. And and it's like totally what I'm made for. And yeah, I think the Lord does that for us. He just, he reveals ourselves to us along the way. So that's kind of a long answer. Oh yeah. And then the one thing I wanted to say though was, yeah, I started to look back later on in seminary and just see all these ways that Our Lady of Guadalupe, the Blessed Mother was like totally answering that prayer I had, like, give me a sweet job. She was like, all right. She's like, you're going to move to New Mexico. And uh, I care about the people there in a very particular way. And the, uh, the, and the, I didn't even know this. Till I was in seminary for like two years. That Our Lady of Guadalupe is the patroness of our diocese. I looked back and I was like praying every Thursday night. And Our Lady Guadalupe side chapel. There's just like all these things, thing after thing. So, so she's a real big deal for me because she got me a job. She answered my prayer. Yeah, that was a dynamic story, man. A lot of moving parts and a lot of grace internally and externally working in your life, and especially the Blessed Mother um, and her pivotal role at interceding and drawing you to the priesthood. So that was real good. Um, did anybody like notice any traits that would make you a good priest or like any good features that um, make you good uh, for the priesthood? Well, so like I said, there was that thing with my mom when I was like in high school where she was like, if you wanna be a priest, uh, that's fine with me. And that just sounded really dumb to me. And also just by the way, I don't know if she'll hear this, but when I told her I was going to be a priest, she got mad. So I was like, what the heck? You told me years ago. Because, you know, moms are like, they want they want grandbabies and all that. And uh, I have to say, like, and this might be an irregular answer to that. All of my friends, when they when we're hanging out and stuff, they're like, of all the people that we thought would be a priest, you're the last one. Like it never we would have never thought that in, in college and in high school. Like, love you. But we, we just never thought that, that you would be able to do this and have these characteristics and all that. So, I mean, like I said, what was going on after college was a closeness to the Lord in prayer and, and certainly like a lot of growth coming through that and starting to work and being responsible and all those things. But I think, uh, I think the Lord had a lot in me that he wanted to draw out so I could be his priest and please, Lord, be a good priest. But a lot of that was, I think for me, a lot of that was kind of like impotential. And the Lord really started to draw it out, especially in seminary and, and all those things. But maybe part of it is just really liking people that helps to like, and be open to the Lord to kind of direct me to who he wants me to serve and how. But, but yeah, I don't, for me, I don't think that there were tons of things like on paper that would make you think this guy would be a good priest, but it is the Lord's call. And so he's going to make that person a good priest. And thank you for sharing. And definitely I can sense how a lot of people might be in disbelief that like, Hey, I never thought you would be a priest, but now lo and behold that you're a priest now. So that yeah. might've been a, that was a good reaction. Like see their face. I bet when you told them <laughs> that you were going to be a priest. What's <laughs> um, really funny is, you know, I, I taught high school out here for a while. I taught, just one year, but I taught like five science classes every day. And, uh, and so most of those kids knew I was going to the seminary 
at the end of that year. But I see them now. I baptize their babies. You know, a lot of them come to church. And so relationship with them is really fun and funny because some of them are like the ones that I gave attention to like every day and, you know, whatever. One of the girls who we really loved her, the teachers loved her, but she was like just so bad, so bad and always getting in trouble. And she is the sponsor now for one of the one of her friends who's in RCIA. So I see her every Thursday, you know, stuff like that's amazing. Yeah, that's the teacher life. Teacher life meets the, the priest life, so it's cool. You know, on, on social media, a lot of times, um, like the priest, and there's a, and there are a few, you know, sisters who bring a lot of engagement and fun, and not so much, you know, theological heavy and sacramental heavy. Um, but you're definitely one of the few priests on social media that like have fun. Why do you think it's necessary, or how do you find? How do you find it like still to be upbeat and like comical as a priest? I guess part of that's just, you know, our personality, but also choosing how to use social media. I didn't get on Twitter until a couple of years ago. And it's just like, it's not a part of my ministry that the bishop's given me. It's not something really that's essential for my life. At the same time, I, I feel like I made friends on there and I wasn't, you know, I was invited by priest friends of mine to get on because they thought it was kind of cool. Um, you know, social media is really intense. I've seen more in the last few years, just so much how, how it affects people in positive ways and negative ways, especially our our younger kids. And so it's just, a, I, I do have kind of a conscious choice that I'm not particularly there to like minister to people or convert people or all that kind of stuff. However, I do just want to be myself. Um, and that who I am is a priest of Jesus Christ who, like in general, is fairly joyful. I think everybody has their ups and downs. Um, and and also really hard not to get in like fights and stuff on social media because, man, it's just never worth it. And it actually stresses me out. I think some people can compartmentalize and they can get on social media and like just battle it out for like an hour and a half. And then they just, you know, then they take their kids and go get frozen yogurt or whatever. But But for me, like it's all kind of relationship and it does stress me out. So. So I just really try to just kind of have a, I have a circle of friends on there that are fun to talk to. This cat showed up and people like to see pictures of him and he's hilarious. And then every once in a while, I feel like, you know what, this is a really good thing to share about Jesus or the gospel or, you know, whatever. That's a part of my daily thought and prayer and all that too. But I just don't feel like you got to be on there, you know, trying to convert everybody or making points or, you know, all that kind of stuff. Also, yeah, I don't know. Social media is just really funny. I think just choose choose how to engage. A lot of people, I think, are are uh, like almost like meaner on social media than they are in real life. Like on social media, they're just savage. And then you meet them, and they're just like, "Hey, how's it going? Really nice to meet you." Like soft spoken and like super friendly. And I feel like I'm kind of the opposite. Like I'm more, I'm a little bit more like, mm -mm, um, you know, when I have to be a pastor and all that kind of stuff. Whereas on social media, it's, it's for the most part, just a place for me to take a few minutes off every couple hours, chill, say hi to somebody, post a picture of the cat, say something dumb about a video game, you know? And yeah, and there's cool people on there like yourself, you know, you get to meet people and that's just a real blessing. Yeah, thank you for answering. Um, so you work in a heavily indigenous and Latin American infused culture. Uh, could you highlight some of your experiences as a priest in New Mexico? Yeah, so there's been just, like I was saying before, our land, like our territory out here is so big. We have 
we have a lot of different communities, different reservations, different tribes, different pueblos. And the other group in the, in, especially in Northern New Mexico, that's really prominent is like Spanish families that have been here for hundreds of years, got like land grants from the King of Spain back in the day. And, and those are actually the communities that I served in my, in my last parish assignment. So I had two parishes for four years and, uh, and there's, you know, a whole bunch of different people out there, but the main like group of people were, were these old Spanish families. And it was just amazing to me. Like they, they, they still have their processions. They still have their feast days. It still means something to them. You know, I think, I don't know, like the kind of the Anglo West culture, West coast culture that I grew up in. We just don't really have that much traditions. Most of us have kind of left European families behind. Don't know that much of our history. I grew up only really knowing my grandparents and not feeling much of connection to whatever my history was before that. So out here, there's just like, there's real culture and languages that are still spoken and traditions that are still carried on and processions that are still done. And, and to me, that's just really amazing. Like the, the community that I was serving before the, the Spaniards, they, uh, you know, they still, I mean, they still, they all, English is their main language for, a couple hundred years but they also still speak like a like an old school version of spanish that's barely spoken anywhere else because they got cut off you know from the developing language a couple hundred years ago so it'd be like if i was speaking shakespearean english or whatever they use different words for things you can still figure it out but it's different and um yeah and then like like i said there's a variety of different tribes and different native peoples out here all of whom are really quite different Pueblo cultures are really different from Navajo people who were just a lot more, you know, they, they had kind of their boundaries that, that they considered their land, but within that they weren't settled so much in one place. So that really brings about like a different character and they all have different languages, different ceremonies. Laguna Pueblo is the one, as far as I know, that's like really, really Catholic in general. And uh, they have a feast every year on St. Joseph's feast day. I've never been to this, so I apologize if I'm mischaracterizing this, but this is the stories that I've heard. I really want to go. Their, their Pueblo feast day is St. Joseph's Day, uh, March 19th. And the way they celebrate that, they do like mass, procession. Everybody makes tons of food. You're supposed to go to everybody's house and just eat. So at the end, you're like, you're going to die because you've eaten so much good food. But the other thing they do is they do this thing called the throw, where they just get their stuff and throw it off a cliff. So it's like TVs and couches and whatever, like to celebrate St. Joseph. I don't know what the root of that is, but I got some stuff I want to throw off a cliff. So I can't wait to get out there and participate in that. So, you know, a big part of the, the gift for me out here is just all that, all the incredible, like the richness of culture. It's also a lot of culture clash out here. There's just tons of groups that are living like, you know, mostly as neighbors, but there's historical trauma and, and, violence that groups have done to each other and obviously like colonization and all that kind of stuff so for me it's also um one of the gifts of being of serving here is especially because i'm not from here i'm from you know california and i'm still a newbie out here is just that i never think like i understand how all this works and i got this i have the plan to fix this stuff blah 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 you really gotta just rely on the lord be really connected to him in prayer so he can direct you it really has to be the little way because i think the problems here are not only like really 
big and can be overwhelming with all these different cultures and all these histories kind of colliding. Um, but also really raw, really raw out here. And, and so, so just for me, that just pushes me really hard to just consistently rely on the Lord and see what he has to do every day and educate myself and all those things. But even that primarily through knowing people and asking them their story, books are good, but it's, but just to know, know people and to hear their stories and become part of a community is, is the most beautiful. And my last favorite question that I think is the most fascinating is who's your favorite saint and why? Um, I know you kind of highlighted Joan of Arc. You talked a lot about the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, yeah, so who are some other, or if you want to expound and talk more about those, that's great too. Who are some saints that you uh, really like in the body of Christ? Of course, the Blessed Virgin Mary, she's always number one. I mean, the Lord is number one. Blessed Virgin Mary is number one of the ones that aren't aren't God. and uh, and and even uh, besides like all the stuff I told you before, I was able to go down to the Basilica in Mexico City after I was ordained for about a year and a half and spend like five days there, do mass there every day and um, consecrate my priesthood to Our Lady of Guadalupe. So super important. And I just feel like she's my, mi jefa, like she's, she's the one that gave me my job and I got to see what she wants me to do. What's the, what's always, the word? What's the word? Oh, it's like, it's like my, my boss. She's my boss. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, Joan of Arc, I'll just go through a few really quick. So Joan of Arc, I just read this book when I was in college. It was Mark Twain's Joan of Arc. And I just read it because it was in my friend's room and I stole it from him. And what really impressed me there, besides all the craziness of a 14-year-old girl leading this army, why does God care if there's English people in France, all those things? But I just saw that the Lord really had a like a plan for her and she was really dedicated to following it. And that it really impressed me. Like God has actually a plan for me as a plan for us. And maybe I should figure out what it is. So that kind of got me going on vocational stuff. Dorothy Day, Servant of God, I mentioned her, uh, just really revealing what it means to like radically serve Jesus in the poor and in her brothers and sisters and giving everything toward that. I'm a real big fan of St. Therese Lazou because of the little way and her joy and her intensity. I remember a lot of my friends read the story of a soul when we were in college and uh, they were like, oh, it's so girly. I can't deal with this. Even my, like, my female friends were saying that. Like it's like frills and dolls and whatever. I was like, huh. And then a few years later, I read it. And for me, it was like the most hardcore challenging thing I'd ever read. She was so intense and joyful, like in her love of God and, and just following Jesus in the little things and, and letting him kind of build the whole house. Like you do these little things and he'll, he'll take care of the whole plan. I think that's really important just for our general like life vocational search and all that. And then more recently, a really huge on, uh, I love blessed Stanley Rother. He's an American priest that was martyred in Guatemala. And to me, he, he kind of reminds me of your story. In a lot, in a lot yeah. Of I mean, he's amazing, man. And he, uh, the thing with, with for that, that's really inspiring for me is like, he's also normal. Like he's normal. He wasn't doing, okay. So the patron saint for priests, you know, is St. John Vianney, who's awesome. But St. John Vianney is like hearing confessions for 18 hours a day and doing food miracles and like all this stuff. I'm like, that's really cool, but I don't think that's me. And Stanley, blessed Stanley Rother, like he was killed just doing basic priest stuff, just doing basic priest stuff and not giving up on them and just being there for his people and, and being a sign of their dignity when, when the military government there wanted to tear that down. But he really like, why did, why did he get martyred? Like 
so that you know just because he was still saying masses and doing doing religious education and hearing confessions and baptizing babies like he wasn't doing anything crazy out of the ordinary for a priest but he knew that that was worth dying for just just being there for the people so i really love that that's huge for me and uh serving a god takashi nagai who uh died of uh of leukemia in Japan, just the way that he uh, encouraged his people to forgiveness and peace after after the U.S. dropped the bombs is super moving for me. There's a ton of amazing saints, which is so cool. Like you can go on forever and ever, and all, people are always telling me about some saint I never heard of. Parishioners would be like, "Have you heard of this saint, Father Josh?" I'm like, "Of course, I heard of that saint." And then I'll come back in Wikipedia afterwards. I'm like, "I never heard of this saint before." <laughs> And the thing about, um, I mean, not to harp on, on Blessed Stanley Roeder, uh, like he said, he's like a normal guy. He grew up in like middle America, yeah. farmer, yeah. I mean, farmer background. Um, just a Failed out of seminary. Of, yeah, he flunked out of seminary because he didn't know like Latin or whatever, but he stayed yeah. and yeah. just met the people in Central America where they were. I even wrote about Bless the standard world thing gave us a lecture on him. So that's like yeah. a, little quick, a little quick little plug. Awesome. But, um, send yeah, it yeah. to me. Oh, yeah. I'll definitely send it to you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely appreciate you coming on and sharing, you know, such a rich, um, you know, priesthood, vocational discernment story, and also just highlighting some other experiences that you've had um, as a priest. I will keep you in prayer and may the listeners keep your, your ministry and the work that you do wherever God places you. Uh, in prayer too so thank you thanks everyone you're in my prayers too and also your uh your family and thanks so much this is just such an awesome little ministry that you do so thanks for doing it yeah, for sure thank you thank you you guys can tune in to the next episode of um saintly witnesses